Mark, where do ghosts live? I don't know, Scott. Where do ghosts live? They don't. <laughs> I should have not walked into that. <laughs> you really shouldn't. One more, one more, one more. I'm, feel, I'm feeling extra energetic today. <laughs> Uh, people often make dick jokes and they're either about big dicks or little dicks. Well, mine's medium. Means it can communicate with ghosts. <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> Get a little bit of gasoline. I'm going to make it burn. I'm going to make it burn. Let's go. You are now listening to the You Run podcast. The only horror movie review podcast completely run and controlled. Not by me and Mark, your hosts, but by you. Our listeners. Hey, Scoob. We're on the radio, bro. You want to die tonight? Zoinks. <laughs> you choose the movies. You score them. You review them. You do it all. Because after all, this is not our show. This is your show. I'm your number one fan, Mr. Man. It's not perfect. It has its problems. Do you run podcast? It was just weird. I don't know. They can't like a weird vibe. The You Run Podcast. Bitch, you better not forget about me. Don't you ever forget about me. Hey, this is Naomi Grossman, best known as Pepper from American Horror Story. Hi, it's Imitation Dave. Uh, buddy, 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 you son of a bitch. Just make sure you fucking listen. This was fucking incredible. He's the one you need to blame. Get a little bit of gasoline. Hello, welcome to the U-Run podcast. My name is Scott. And my name is Mark. And we are the only interactive horror movie review show run and controlled by you, the listeners. Uh, we release weekly episodes uh, every Friday. Uh, no, we don't. They're every Tuesday. I lie. Every... <laughs> Let me start that again. Uh, yeah, we okay. release weekly episodes every every Tuesday, uh, giving you the rundown of the movie that you have selected either by our Instagram polls or by straight up request. You tell us to do a movie, we do it. Uh, we also feature three word reviews, facts, uh, your thoughts on the movie, which are all done through TikTok, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, we also have another feature on this show uh, where Mark finds a recommended account that we all go and follow. And uh, nine times out of 10, that account is amazing. And well, in fact, no, that's a lie. 10 times out of 10, that account is amazing. And today is no exception. Mark, what we got? It's that time of the week. It's time for Mark to recommend an account. So this week's recommended account, and I apologise if I butcher the pronunciation of your name, um, I believe is Emil Melmoth. Um, you can find that Emil, E-M-I-L underscore Melmoth, M-E-L-M-O-T-H. Um, Emil Melmoth is a Mexican artist who focuses on the dark surrealism and macabre art. This guy's stuff is fucking insane it is honestly some of the most bizarre and creepiest visual stuff i have seen um the only way i could probably describe it to anybody who hasn't seen this account already is it's a more it's, it's a blend of if you take anatomical sculptures you would find in a science class and blend that with demonic religion aspects um Something I don't usually do each week is, is pre-tell Scott the account that I'm focusing on. But this week I was that amazed by, by this guy's work. That I wanted to show him so he could sort of discuss it with me and how great this stuff is. I mean, what did you think when you saw this guy's work? This is, for me, it's a cross, but not the cross you, you gave. This is, 
if you take all of the images in your head you've got of what angels and demons may look in the like in the bible and if you gave that to stephen king and wes craven and got them to reimagine it and give it to an artist that's what this guy does that's the outcome of this yeah that's a very 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 apt description of what he does um it kind of reminds me of quite a lot of the stuff you'd find in silent hill yeah um but, yeah, but there's with, one that's got very um, strong religious tones throughout. Um, yeah, the, there's one I saw that's got like two faces that are peeling apart and the, the skull is coming out of the in between. It's it's awesome. The stuff is yeah. so good. I mean, the one that I particularly found interesting was the one of the guy. It kind of looks like the statue of David, but it's got nails across his eyes all the way around his head like a crown. And yeah. we're talking hundreds of nails right the way through, the same way you'd see the rings around Saturn. I mean, this thing is. It's it's awesome. It's awesome. Honestly, it's it's so cool. I would love to have some of his work throughout my house. It's it's amazing. It really is. It's it's creepy. I'm not going to lie to you, but it's outstanding the stuff he does. So please go give him a like and a and a subscribe. His name is Emil Melmoth, and I'll spell that for you one last time, which is E M I L underscore M E L M O T H. Yeah, and his stuff really is fucking awesome. Um, again, really creepy. You wouldn't want this in your house with your kids. No, 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 no. <laughs> but it would look great in my office where my yeah. child does not come. But yes, yeah, uh, but yeah, I wouldn't it, have it in my living room. No, it would definitely be nightmare inducing. There would be very, very many sleepless nights if you did. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think I would get um, I would get prosecuted for some sort of child abuse on some level. I think having yeah. this around the house on a day to day basis. Yeah, I'm pretty sure you would as well. Um, this week, we told you we would be covering a new release and we were going to be looking at Jordan Peele's Nope. Now, the release of Jordan Peele's Nope has been pushed back in the UK um, and not the rest of the world, which is the dumbest thing ever because everyone in the United States is going, oh, look at this. Let me give you all the spoilers. And I said, the UK again, well, fuck you. We don't get it until the 12th of August. Yeah, and already this has only been out of matter of days and people are already saying how underwhelming it is. So from going from peak excitement and curious to see what he did with this, I will now be waiting until streaming. Yeah. Yeah. And I've got to say, I understand this releasing in different countries at different times. And I got that in the eighties and the nineties made perfect sense. Let's release it in the United States, have a big boom there. Let's do another big launch in the UK, have a big boom. I get it. Now we live in a world that we are so connected that if you release something in, if you release something in the Himalayas, I will know about it in the UK within hours of it coming out. You cannot do split releases anymore. It doesn't work. No. Walking Dead is the biggest culprit for this. They release theirs in America like a week before or maybe like four or five days before it comes out in Sky in the UK. And it's like everything that happens in that episode before it comes out in America, we already know literally 24 hours after that has aired. Yeah. It is the most annoying thing. Like I used to have to stay off my phone for like three days when I was really in the heart of the Walking Dead fan love for it. Like as soon as it came out, I was like, shit, I can't go on my phone now until until I can watch it here in the UK. That's how annoying it is. I just yeah. don't get why they do it. it. It genuinely doesn't make any sense. But it doesn't matter because we done what we always do when we're in the shit. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we turned to you, the listeners, and we gave you a choice between The Fly, The Lost Boys, The Burbs and Poltergeist. Um, you picked a movie that shows us why TV is bad for our kids. Uh, what can happen uh, with cheap 
mass-produced houses. I'm sure Mark will agree with that, um, especially if they're not properly maintained. Uh, it's responsible for reinforcing people's fears of clowns and contains a psychic medium with the same dress sense as Johnny Depp from Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Um, <laughs> it's so apt. It's so spot on. <laughs> uh, uh, not only does this movie contain all of this, but it's a movie that Mark has not seen. I know. Again, again, I'm loving this journey I'm on this season. It's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, when I was, talk- I was adamant that Lost Boys are going to win this by a landslide. I was so adamant. And again, it's been beaten out. Last time it was beaten out by Fright Night, and here we are again, beaten out by the Poltergeist. Yeah, just shows you there's some great movies in the '80s, better than Lost Boys. Something I would not have believed a few episodes <laughs> ago. <laughs> uh, the crazy thing on this though is, you said on a previous episode, I think it was on the H4 episode, that you hadn't seen Poltergeist. That's correct. I got so many messages from people on Discord servers going, how the fuck has Mark not seen Poltergeist? I know, I know. I don't know. It's just it's just never sort of come into my circle. Um, no. It was never readily available on a VHS. I mean, most of my horror knowledge growing up comes from VHS is kicking about in either my parents' collection or neighbours' collection that I would be able to go around and borrow. It was just never something that I came across, ever. So I don't know. I don't know. Well, you found it now, and here's the trailer. The house looks just like the one next to it. And the one next to that. And the one next to that. A young couple live in it. Give Ken a kiss. (laughs) You are so unlucky. With their three children. (laughs) And something more. Remember last night? Do you remember when you woke up and you said you were here? Uh-huh. Well, who did you meet? Who's here? TV people. Something's funny going on here next door. Something, uh... We were wondering if maybe you had experienced any disturbances lately. What kind of disturbances? I don't know what hovers over this house. So I'm going to kick off this episode by saying how refreshing it is to watch a horror movie where the parents are not complete arseholes. Yes, agreed. I love the parents in this. I was when you watch a horror movie, be it Nightmare on Elm Street, be it Halloween, be it whatever. The trope is the parent of the main character 
is an arsehole. They're horrible to their child and their child dislikes them. That's that's the rule. Yeah. And this movie does not follow that rule at all. And I would say probably the only movie I can think of, even to this day, that slams home a happy family can exist in a horror movie. This sums up the epitome of what I believe the American suburban family is. Yeah. I I might be well off on that altogether, but to me watching this, I was like, yeah, that's definitely what your stereotypical American family is. Yeah, that's suburbia. We start by meeting the family, and I love the way that we meet the family. So it starts off at nighttime. You've got the dad asleep in the chair. He's falling asleep watching the TV. Uh, You've got the national anthem playing, and then to signal the end of the day's broadcast. That's right, kids. In the 80s, TV used to stop. Do you remember this? No, I do not remember this. Do you not? No, man. No, I, no. I remember the late night days of watching Euro Trash at three o'clock in the morning. <laughs> no, I so don't remember TV ending ever. In, I remember, I was very young, but I remember TV getting to, I think it was something like midnight. And at midnight, it would play the national anthem and someone would go, thank you very much for watching. Have a lovely night. And that was TV finished then until six o'clock the following morning. Oh, I tell a lie, actually. Yeah, because we used to have um, teletext. Yeah. In the UK. So it was basically like Facebook in pixel form. <laughs> and you could, <laughs> book, you could book last minute budget holidays and stuff like that at three o'clock in the morning and things and get football scores and all the rest of it. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, t- TV used, used to end, which, yeah, anyone who lives in the modern world must think that's insane. But yeah, yeah. T- it used to end and we all used to have a bedtime. <laughs> when, TV, <laughs> when TV stopped, that was time to go to bed. Um, so this whole scene is done from the dog's point of view. It's the family dog going around and checking on the family. Uh, first yeah. of all, checks on the, the 16-year-old who's Dana, uh, eats some leftover food she's got knocking around in her room, then checks on eight-year-old Robbie, and then finally Carol Ann. Um, fun fact about Carol Ann, who's five, uh, Heather O'Rourke played Carol Ann, um, and Heather Silman from Wednesday Wine and Horror, and my co-host on True Crime and good friend of this show and good friend of me and Mark is named after Heather. Yes. And Rourke and was almost called Carol Ann. I can't imagine her being a Carol Ann, if I'm honest with you. No, I can't. I, I think her mother made the right call. <laughs> yeah, a hundred percent. Heather is Heather and will not be anything else ever. Definitely. It's in this opening scene. They do a great job of creeping you out and they really hammer home the tone for this in this opening scene. So you get Carol Ann, gets up and she comes downstairs and she sits and watches the what is now the static TV because TV's finished and starts having a one-way conversation, which is creepy enough as it is. And then when she's not getting any responses back, she starts shouting and that shouting wakes up the entire family. And you get this shot of the dad looking at Caroline going, are you okay? And then the brother, the sister, on the stairs with the mum, all just staring at the TV, and that's your opening setup for this movie. This really, really freaked me out. And I mean, you get that iconic image that you see on the cover of the poster and the stuff where she puts her hands upon the static TV. As freaky as that was, it was when the camera flipped the opposite way around, and you see from inside the TV's point of view looking out at Caroline, and you have this flashing static. And it and it it's so trippy and weird, and it's flashing this bright white light in her face, and she slowly starts to grin. 
And I was like, whoa, man, that is evil as shit. And it's not intentionally done that way. She just obviously is clearly hearing the voices through the telly and she starts to smile. But the flashing lights on her face, just it looked so creepy, really, yeah. really creepy. And this film, man, if you have any form of epilepsy, you should not be watching this film. <laughs> I thought that when I watched it, that there should be a warning and there's genuinely not. There's no warning. No, I was like, dude, man, I was like, I don't have anything like that. But it was making me rub my eyes at moments throughout. I'd say probably more in this opening bit as well, where it is, it's constant. You've got this almost like strobe light effect on her face. Yeah. And then she slowly starts to smile while this strobe light effect is happening. And it's it's weird, man. Do you know what it reminded me of? Do you know the the way, if you remember in the It remake, where the Pennywise and it's a hair projector across her face? the big projector scene yeah and it's like and it was a flashing lights in that and it and her face slowly smile it was creepy man and i don't think it was actually intended to it just was her smiling but the strobe effect across her face as it was doing it was was so wild man. yeah really 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 i, I love it I, i'm not gonna i'm not gonna try and hide my affection for this movie at all at any point after this we get a decent look at suburban life so we get the following morning and we literally get a scene you'd expect in the goonies or something of a pg movie of this era you get the family getting up they're doing breakfast they all go off and they go about their day and i really like this it's a filler scene but i liked it that you get to see them just in a normal morning nothing weird happens they just get up and do their thing Uh, it doesn't take long for us to get the catalyst that kicks everything off and this is one of the top-notch scenes for the, for me. Absolutely love this. The family budgie dies. Um, the mum takes the the mum Diane takes the budgie to the toilet and is about to flush it down the toilet when Carol Ann opens the door. This scene is brilliant because we've all done something that is like we I don't know we've thrown away a picture our kids have done or something like that and you get caught and you go oh no I was just dusting it off before I put it on the side. <laughs> Uh, and it was that kind of vibe and the next thing you get is the uh, you get diane putting the budgie into like a shoebox coffin and caroline putting in a a photo of the family uh, before they have a burial ceremony i loved this yeah it just it amplified how childhood innocence is absolutely adorable yeah and the thing is though it, it captured childhood innocence perfectly but also captured that not greedy but that unfeeling a child of five hasn't got all a grip of all of their emotions yet so once they've done the ceremony and she's a bit upset and they bury they bury the um the budgie she goes can i have a goldfish this made me laugh so much man (laughs) because i have a daughter who's two years old now and she's developing at that stage and she'll kick off alarmingly for something and with an instant, her whole emotions and attitude will change because she will be distracted by something else. And it just reminded me so much of that in this moment. Yeah, so my daughter is, the oh, she's a year younger than Caroline's meant to be in this. And that is her. Yeah. The, the whole world will end and then she'll be like, oh, can I have an ice cream? You can have an ice cream. Oh, okay, <laughs> yeah. everything's happy again. Um, yeah. And the best bit is she gets the goldfish because literally this it snaps to the next scene and the next scene is her feeding her goldfish. Yeah, it's, it's cool, it's cool. Uh, one thing as well, I just want to pick up on, there's, there's a scene with all this where it feels like a very much like a, a sitcom at this point. You have these very, everybody loves Raymond feel about the way everything's going on and you have the dad having the argument with the neighbour regarding satellite and stuff. What is going on here? 
Is this before my time? Because they are <laughs> battling. And how is he? How are they controlling each other's TV? I don't. So there, um, there used to be a thing in the eighties. So we had this with our neighbour. Um, if you had the same TV and the, the remote control, because they worked on an analog radio frequency you would be naturally tuned into the same frequency. So if you changed your TV, you'd also change the neighbor's TV. Right. I'd, 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 I'd never experienced this before in my life. And I was so confused. I was like, what the hell are they doing? Yeah, no, that, that, that was a thing. Uh, our, I remember my dad having a conversation with our neighbor and we both switched our front room around to put the TVs as far away from each other as possible. I remember that when I, I can't have been old. I must've been like seven or eight, but I vividly remember our front room in absolute chaos so our tv would work properly oh so you had to mirror each other's houses in order to create the maximum distance apart from the tellies that's yeah. insane that's fucking insane <laughs> so oh, yeah how this, times have changed yeah how times have changed and how i'm showing how much older i am than my co-host <laughs> <laughs> uh we jumped to later that night and the kids are disturbed by a thunderstorm uh and we get a first look at the creepiest clown toy in the history of clown toys yeah yeah it's a bit weird isn't it um do you know what it's it's the it's the carnival aspect of the clown doll that freaks me out more than anything like i can tolerate clowns but when it's very carnival-esque and and pennywise costume sort of thing it's it's freaky as fuck this thing's yeah this thing ticks all of those boxes um yeah so steve and diane are getting stoned in their bedroom um which at first i thought was weird and then i remembered it was the 1980s and i kind of got it and I think this scene just reinforces that they are a really happy couple because they're joking and laughing and it's a really nice family vibe, minus the fact the mum sat there smoking a blunt like Snoop Dogg. Yeah, I didn't pick up on that being a a joint at that point. I thought she was just smoking in bed. No, I'm pretty sure it was a it was a joint. I'm sure it was. Yeah, I'm not disputing that it wasn't. Now you you say it, I I get it, but I, I didn't. It never clicked to me that it was that at the time. I mean, she hadn't rolled it, so maybe it was. I don't know. Yeah, because he tries rolling it and couldn't roll it and then, like, done what I would do with my missus. I fucking sort that out. And then she sits and rolls it for him. Yeah. Robbie, their son, bursts into the room. I've lost you. Oh, yeah, because they do. She starts wafting the smoke away, actually. Yeah, that does make more sense now. Yeah. Yeah, so Robbie bursts into the room because he's scared of the loud thunderstorm. Uh, and Steve, I've got to say, Steve's a good dad. Steve's like, oh, it's okay, man. Come on, come with me. I'll sort you out. And he puts him on his back and gives you a piggyback back to his room. He then tells him how thunderstorms work. So if you hear a thunderstorm or if you see a lightning strike, you then count between the lightning strike and the thunder rumble. If you count at five and then it happens again, you count four, the thunderstorm's going away. And he does this sort of, he stands outside the door and he hears his son go five, four, three, two, one. And then he goes five. and it's getting further away and the dad leaves with the smug dad look that we all do when we've done something good yeah that was good parenting well done mate Uh, and then it it snapshots again straight away to both the kids in their bed yeah this really made me laugh as well they do a really good job of of timing the comedy perfect with this and it's not it's not a laugh out loud in your face comedy it's just one of those moments where it comes on and you you get a, a sense of warm smugness inside yourself. You're like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. You do them. Yeah. That's my life. That happens. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a laughable realism about it. That, that really, really caught my attention. I like this. I like this a lot. This, this was really enjoyable for me seeing all these moments come together early on. 
Yeah, and I, I love, so this conversation that Steve has with Robbie is a conversation my dad had with me. And I since have had this conversation with Jack about thunderstorms and about how they work. Today, for this, I went and Googled to see if it's actually a thing. It is. So really? if you get a lightning strike and you count five seconds, a thunderstorm is roughly five miles away. If you count again, and it's four seconds. That thunderstorm is now roughly four miles away. And that's confirmed by the Met Office official website. Science. Can't argue with science, man. You can't argue with science. And for, for, I'll be honest, for my entire life until today, when I researched that fact, I thought it was just a thing that you told your kids to make them <laughs> shut up and go to sleep. <laughs> the thing I think I take from this is the, just the wonderful parenting. The parenting in this is so good. I, I, genuinely, I genuinely think these Diane and Steve are good parents. That they, they yeah. love their kids and it's, it shows on screen and it's so rare to see. I just think the overall character development throughout is, is, is really solid in this. They build the, the foundations very well for this family dynamic. It makes you care about every single character. and They do a good job of showing that on screen. You, you're invested, which is unusual. There's usually obviously the weaker link throughout or, or a moment that causes you to think, oh, you're going to die next. But everybody in this is all so really enjoyable and, and, and yeah. fun to watch. And the, the dynamic between them all feels very real, you know, because I, a lot so- of times in films, they don't, they don't portray that very well. It all feels very scripted. But whereas these feel like a proper family, you know? Yeah, and I would say they, they portray this dynamic so well to the point that the teenage daughter is not as heavily involved in this story because a teenage girl wouldn't be. Yes. It, it's, it's so well done, so well constructed. She, she's great, though. She's great. She has her time to shine, and I will bring that to attention when it does. But she's, she's outstanding. I really like her in here. And, and to be honest with you, I really like the child actors in this. I think the weakest link is the son. Yeah. I can't remember his name. Is he, he, Robbie. He, Robbie, yeah. I wasn't awfully sold on his performance or his character. I mean, the little girl who plays Caroline, I mean, I would put her up there. We spoke about this on previous episodes in terms of your, your Andy Barclays, your Daniel yeah. Harris's, your, your, you know, your, um, your Danny from The Shining. She, she rightly so deserves a place amongst all of them. She is so good in this. Yeah, really, really good. And so you get this scene, so they're all now asleep in mum and dad's bed. Um, Caroline wakes up and the TV is is doing the static thing. Uh, we get a CGI spectral hand come out of the TV. For 1982, this is phenomenal. And I'd put this on a par with the effects you would get in Ghostbusters. I didn't like this. Oh, really? <laughs> no. And, and, and I'm not going to shit on this film in any way because it's great. But I, I did think this felt like something from Disney's Fantasia. This was the uh, one okay. that I kind of... But then again, like you say, it's 1980s, man. It's... <laughs> You can't, I'm coming into this, this is, remember folks, this is the first watch for me. So yeah. I'm looking at this based on what I know already. And I'm not saying that the rest of the CGI is bad. I'm just saying this was the one particular scene that stood out to me as a bit wonky. It looked like, um, it looked like something you would see from a cartoon, like, uh, like, like Fantasia, like it looked yeah. like a Disney Fantasia moment. And it's not okay. like it looked bad, it didn't look bad. It just, it, no. it stood out to me as very. Uh, for 1982, this looks phenomenal. Yes, yes. Yeah. If you compare it for 1982, yes, it looks phenomenal. But for yeah. me watching it now in 2022, it just it immediately looks like a bit silly. Yeah, okay. No, I'll, I'll take that on board. Uh, listeners, show no quarter. Send in your messages now to Mark. Uh, 
<laughs> uh, after the hand comes out of the TV, it shoots into the wall, causing the whole house to shake like an earthquake. This is where we get the iconic scene from Caroline where she turns around and goes, They're here. And I have heard this all my life and never knew where it come from. And as soon as it happened, I was like, Fuck yeah, man, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. It, 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 I would say it probably lives up there with the most iconic horror scenes. That scene of They're Here is. Yeah, yeah. It, to iconic. me, that's like on par with uh, coming to get you, Barbara, and all the rest of them. But I would yeah. never be able to place it. Yeah, I've heard it a million times throughout my life. You can place it now, though. Too right, I can. Yeah, <laughs> I'm part uh, of an elite club. Yeah, <laughs> nice uh, to be here. <laughs> yeah, you're part of an elite club that was formed and grown since 1982. To yeah, now. I'm 50 years too late, but I'm here anyway. <laughs> uh, the following morning, between 50, 40. Oh, yeah. Sorry, you know my maths is wonky, man. We'll just glide past that. <laughs> wonky? You just put a decade on my age. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, dude. <laughs> uh, the following morning, we get a repeat of the family getting ready, and I love this. You get, uh, it's almost a mirror scene of the first family scene, morning getting ready, that we got. This time, we get some unexplained and unexpected things. Uh, you get the dad on the phone, I'm assuming to his boss or to a colleague, and the camera pans past him and you get the line, did the earth move for you? And I cracked up at this, just made me chuckle. We get the drinking glass that shatters into the cereal bowl and we get a some cutlery that's all bent out of shape. But again, it doesn't disrupt their morning. This is kind of like a, oh, fuck, the glass broke. Never mind. We'll, we'll get on and get it done. The whole family go. Uh, so Steve goes off to work and the kids go off to school and you get Diane left with Caroline. Um, we see Steve try to sell a house. Would you buy a house off Steve? Uh, I would, yeah. Because he's, <laughs> I would because he's he's honest, isn't he? I don't think he's like he's not like a blagger. He's not trying to fill up full of shit. He's just basically, yeah, they all look the same. They're serviceable. They're a nice job. <laughs> Take what you will from it. I think this is what got me because normally you expect a salesman, especially an estate agent or real estate agent, you expect them to go, ah. It's got a, an ample lobby, which means it's got a little box as you walk in. But he's like, <laughs> the people are looking at the house go, oh, it looks the same as the other house. He's like, yeah, they're all identical. Yeah. But you can change them. There's a guy down the road who's got a swimming pool that goes into his front room. It's like, fuck, really? Yeah. And I like that. Like, if I went, this is what drives you mad about buying a car. When you go to buy a car and they're trying to sell you, like, the most expensive or whatever on the forecourt, and they, they just sell you this cock and bull story all the time. And I just... You can see through it so much and you know they're just putting on a show and it just winds me up. If he was trying to sell me a car and he was like, I'll be honest, mate, it's not the best. Probably do with a new few tyres, give the tyre a kick and all that lot. I'd be like, yeah, I'll buy this one, <laughs> mate. Cheers. <laughs> I was just about to say, in my head, you're a tyre kicker. <laughs> yeah, I'm a tyre kicker, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so mine, so it's fine. <laughs> uh, so now back in the kitchen, you've got Caroline left alone with Diane. Uh, Diane's gone to say her goodbyes to the family. And she comes back in and all of the chairs are pulled at equal distance out from the table. Diane turns around and goes, did you do this? And Caroline's like, what are you on about? No, I didn't do that. Diane turns away. And when she turns back, all of the chairs are stacked in a pyramid on top of the table. I so. expected her to ask Caroline if she'd have done this. I was <laughs> like, please don't ask that child if she's done this. The thing is, there's a bit where she looks at her and you can see it go through her head. Did you yeah. do that? <laughs> yeah, I really like this scene. It's cool. It's cool. I want to talk to you about this as well, because 
there's a little bit of a blooper in this because when she turns to go and open the cupboard door, you see the stage props run by in the reflection of the stainless steel toaster on the side. And obviously, first watch, I didn't know that that was them. I just assumed that that was some sort of entity and whether we were going to see some sort of entity. And as the rest of the film unfolds, you've realised that's not the case. So this is obviously a blooper at this point. You see the stagehands run past. So my question to you is, how do you feel that this scene was curated? Do you feel like they ran on, took the chairs away, and then the pyramid chair was dropped in from above on a string? I think it's the, the only table. way it could have done because they. I know I've they thought sh- about this a lot. Yeah, they shot it in one take, and there's no way they had time to yeah. stack it. No way. Because I watched it multiple times. I thought maybe they cut it and broke it, and then came back and then blew. This is a one take thing. Yeah, the, you can see the stagehands run past in the toaster. So I would just assume that they pull all the chairs out of the way quickly, and then this the pyramid chairs like glued together and screwed together, if you will, and then just lowered down onto the table. Yeah, I, I think so as well. And it, it's a really cool scene. And it's it's been ripped off in multiple horror movies that yeah. we'll get to in facts. The mum does what any mum would do, absolutely freaks out, looks at Caroline and goes, the TV people? And Caroline's like, yeah, the TV people. This was cool. <laughs> so good. It cuts down to Steve getting home from work and he's greeted by a very excited Diane and a, a a weary and tired Caroline. And Diane's like, this, you've got to see this. You've got to see this. <laughs> this is the best scene in this entire film. I don't care what you say. This is fantastic. The way she reacts to this and how it unfolds with Steve's reaction to it as well, it's just, it's just perfectly timed. It's so good. So good. Yeah. Yeah. So she, she's like, oh, you need to see this. You need to see this. And she puts a chair down. She's marked on the floor in chalk where the chair starts she puts the chair down and the chair then slides across the room and stops. And Steve kind of looks at it and does exactly what I would do. Walks over to the chair, making sure he doesn't step on the gap in case it is something paranormal. He then begins to inspect the chair. While this is going on, you've got, the, you've got Diane putting Carol Ann in a football helmet. And Caroline's going, <laughs> I'm tired. We've not had any dinner. Like, Shut up. We'll get Pizza Hut later. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and she then sits her on the floor and she shoots across the room and ends up in Steve's arms. I it, just I just love this. I love how 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 she reacts to it all. Like most normal people would be terrified and would be running away immediately, but she sees it as some sort of entertainment value. She's like, this is incredible. And she's using the kid as a <laughs> it's like these are ghosts dragging these chairs across the room and you're using your child as a guinea pig. <laughs> yeah, and she she describes just like so you need to try it because when they grab you, you kind of feel your tummy all tingles and then you feel it pull and then you just go. <laughs> <laughs> I know, it's crazy. Uh, this is how Lisa would react to this. Is it really? Yeah, th- this is what I would walk home to. See, I want to feel like this is how I would react and my wife would be the dad. But I don't know, man. I just, I'm not a big believer in ghosts and stuff. But if I saw this unfold and I saw this happen, and she's clearly done this numerous times throughout the day. This is like an ongoing experiment. I think I'd be proper freaked out, man. Yeah, I, I think I would be. And for what happens next, I find a little bit weird and a little bit out of place. And I'll explain when we get to facts why it is a little bit out of place. So it cuts to them at the neighbor's house. <laughs> and they're kind of like two giddy, drunk school kids laughing and like really freaked out and asking the neighbors if anything weird has happened. Do you reckon they've had a joint to calm down at this point? 
I don't smoke <laughs> weed, but I guarantee if I walked home to this, I'd be quite happily sit there and toke on a joint for a few hours to, to calm my nerves. I would need it. Maybe if they are joint smokers, like you said early on, maybe that is what they did and was like, Steve, just have a joint, chill out. We'll, we'll take it in our stride. They've gone around to the neighbours laughing their head off with the munchies to find out what's going on if it's in their house or not. Yeah, and the neighbours like, no, no, nothing strange. And he's looking at him going, you two need to fucking go. You're fucked yeah. up. <laughs> <laughs> um, we get to a bit now which honestly, as a child, gave me nightmares. I'm genuine. I woke up terrified after watching this film. Um, I watched this when I was about seven. And that's because when this came out, this was a PG. This has blown my mind. I didn't know this because when you, when you watch things on like Amazon and all the rest of it, I mean, it tells you the rating and stuff, but you don't usually pay attention to it. You just click what you want and watch your word. Uh, after speaking to you and you was like, yeah, this is a PG, by the way, man. I was like, no fucking way is this a PG. <laughs> uh, it was rated R when it went for its accreditation. The producer and the director, so Toe Pooper and Steven Spielberg, argued back and got it reduced to a PG rating. Yeah, that's the power of Toby Hooper and Spielberg because there is no way that this is a PG rate. No, not. I think it's been reclassified now and I think it's a 12A. That's more passable, especially yeah. by today's standards as well. Yeah. But back in the 80s when this came out, man, I would not let my child see this. No, but the thing is, back in the 80s, you'd go to the you go to Blockbuster, you'd pick up a video, but oh, that's a PG. I was about to go, so oh, it's a PG, it's fine. And you, you'd be stuck in a room and you'd just sit and watch it. See, the thing is, you say that about it being a PG, it's very Spielberg-esque. This feels like uh, like a Spielberg sort of E.T. kind of story. I mean, even the score itself is done by, uh, I mean, I've wrote it down because I was like, yeah, Jerry Goldberg. I mean, he's done things like the Gremlins, uh, Aliens, Planet of the Apes, Total Recall, countless Star Trek films. I mean, this guy was massive in the 80s and it feels very much like an 80s score and feel to a film it's the tone and the tone of it doesn't really suit the subject matter because it feels like a goonies-esque film yeah yeah it does which and, is crazy and the thing is up until this point we're at now this is very much a family-friendly film yeah up until this point it's from here that all of a sudden it takes a bit of a turn and I wouldn't let my children watch it from here on. I think I'd let up to here, no problem at all. I'd let them watch it, but now, no. Um, so we get another thunderstorm and we get a scene where Robbie is counting. You can see Robbie counting down the thunderstorm to see if it's further or closer away and it's coming closer. You then get tree arms reach through the fucking window and drag Robbie out. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> yeah, this, this 10. So one over 10 minutes is probably a five minute section of the film is crazy. This yeah. is the most evil dead two thing I've seen since evil dead two. <laughs> yeah. It, 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 it's, it's yeah, it is very much evil dead two. So the tree rips Robbie out of the house and the family do what you'd expect the family to do. They said, Caroline, you stay in your bed and they all run outside and Steve tries climbing the tree to, to pull Robbie out of it. The crazy thing is, the tree isn't just got hold of Robbie. The tree is now eating Robbie. He's literally neck deep inside this tree. Yeah, and it's it genuinely is scary. It's freaky, man. It's freaky. And I love the puppetry and animatronics used in this scene. It's really, really cool. I like it. I mean, it's it's got that cheap 80s nostalgia about it. It's it's cool. I like it. And 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 
the way everything unfolds and they run outside in the rainstorm and the hurricane comes whirling through. This was what reminded me of the Evil Dead too, that end scene where everything gets dragged into that yeah. massive tornado. And I was like, oh, wow, this is awesome. Yeah, it's really good. And why that's all going on, so why you've got that one crazy scene, you've got another crazy scene in the bedroom as the cupboard door, the, the wardrobe door is swung open and it's now acting like a huge hoover and sucking in all of the toys and the bedding and the clothes and you get this horrific scene with Carol Ann hanging onto her bed as her bed like bed headboard is snapping and she gets sucked into the wardrobe and the second she hits the back of the wardrobe everything stops the storm disappears that it, it doesn't it's almost like the storm disappears everything goes back to normal and it's over in an instant do you think she was an intentional target then at this point yeah and the tree was used as a distraction yeah, I definitely think that. I think it was the tree was used as a distraction to get everybody else out of the house. What happens next, again, is brilliant parenting, but also the scariest thing that can happen to a parent. Um, they can't find Carol Ann, and they search the entire house. They go in, they pull everything out in the cupboard, and you've got the clown in the cupboard under a cloth. And at first they think it's Carol Ann and she's died in the storm. And they pull it down and it's the clown and they kind of have a bit of a laugh. And then they're like, oh, actually, no, our, our child's still missing. The acting of the parents here is brilliant because all of a sudden they go, oh, shit, what if she's got sucked out of the window and ended up in the pit for the swimming pool we're digging? And the dad goes straight out and dives in and he's under the water. He's like, no, she's not in here. They walk back in the house and you can see they're kind of like, where the fuck is she? And the mum's like, Carol Ann. And the next thing you hear is, mummy? Mummy. This is freaky, man. <laughs> and she's talking through the TV. Where was your head at this point? I don't know. I don't know really how I felt or how I interpreted this scene. It was all just a bit bizarre because everything was so fucking intense coming back off that scene with the hurricane and it getting dragged in and then it sort of mellows back out. It, it all happened in such quick succession that I didn't really have time to process any of it, I don't think. No, it's, it's done in such a good way that everything's nice, then everything goes to fucking shit, and then everything calms down, and just this eerie, mummy. It's, yeah, it's freaky. It really is freaky. Really freaky. And from here, there's a time jump. We don't know how much time has passed. Don't know if it's been a week, a month, or, or whatever. Um, and we jump to Steve being interviewed by Dr. Lesh and her paranormal team. Yeah, I was going to ask how much time had passed because he looks dishevelled and he's heavily drinking and he looks like he's mentally taking a bit of a beating. Yeah, I, I don't think it says, but I'm guessing it's not been a couple of days. This has been a prolonged period of time where... I would have estimated it around a fortnight or a month, but the most. I wouldn't have said any longer than a month because they were saying how they hadn't contacted the police. Yeah, they're very aware that this is happening and that she's in the TV and that they would sound mental telling this to the police. So yeah, I, I can't imagine this would be longer than four weeks. No, I, I think it's a good couple of... I mean, the dad looks ruined. Yeah, I would have said he's gone at least a week without sleeping properly. He's heavily drinking. I would put this at about a fortnight after the events, I'd have said. Yeah, it, it's a good chunk of time. And after a short interview where Dr. Lesh goes, would you be willing to have us come and investigate in your home and document? He's like, if I'm honest, I don't give a shit. Come and find my daughter. Do whatever you want while you're there. That's fine. And this is my favourite section of the movie. 
this section where the paranormal investigation team arrive and they begin to investigate the house. So they're talking and Steve's brought them into the house and he's like, I'll take you up to the room. We don't go in there. And one of the investigators said, I I once caught something amazing. I caught a car traveling, a a toy car traveled across the room. It went about seven feet. And dad's like, "Mm mm-hmm. He's like, it was brilliant. It was seven hours. He's like, what was seven hours? It's like, for the car to make its full trip. And I was like, right, okay. And then he swings open the door to the bedroom. And oh, my fucking God. <laughs> yeah, it is crazy what is going on in this room, isn't it? You've got uh, the Incredible Hulk riding a horse that comes past. Yeah. Uh, you've got uh, uh, what they, a protractor. And yeah. a record that's spinning around and the protector stabs onto the record and it starts playing music. You've got the lampshade and the bulb floating separately and then the bulb screws into the lampshade and turns itself on, which was really, really cool. I don't know how they made this look that good in 82. I don't know yeah. how they... And like I said to you, uh, I, I, I assumed the version I had watched was like a, a re-release George Lucas tamper the way he did with... Star Wars and stuff, because I was that convinced that this had been modified and edited to, to today's standards. No, this is how it was when it came out. It's, it's awesome. Yeah, it's really... And like I say, that's why I felt so bad for shitting on the CGI earlier on about the Fantasia scene, because the rest of it is so good, um, especially for the 80s. It's incredibly impressive. Yeah. So... Yeah, and I, this what I love is I love the fact you've got this paranormal team who think they've kind of... They've seen everything they're going to see. And they're sat downstairs and Dr. Lesh is going, well, we don't necessarily think your house is haunted by a ghost. And with that, the coffee pot fucking slides across the table and she instantly corrects herself. We don't think it's haunted by a conventional ghost. We think you might have a poltergeist. And I just love how how well the family have sort of adapted to this situation. They all just seem to be, even though they all look so tired and drawn and worn out, they all seem to be functioning together with the situation unfolding around them. Like, yeah. like they've just sort of become accustomed to the fact that these ghosts are here now and, and that's how the rest of it's going to pan out. Yeah, because there's a bit where the lights flicker and one of the investigators goes, oh, do you see that? And the mum goes, but it's fine. They're travelling pairs. There'll be another one in a minute. And as she says it again. Yeah, it's just, I love this about this film. I really, really do like how well this family adapts to it. And again, earlier on with the way that they did across the kitchen floor and, it's, it's, it's good, it's good. The writing is, is top draw. Yeah, it is. And the investigation team stay with them. So we get, they get footsteps and they get bangs and they get Carol Ann talking through the TV um, and she's saying that she can see a light. And Dr. Lesh tells her to stay away from the light because the light is effectively crossing over and you don't want to do that. You want to stay here. So she gets Diane to say, stay away from the light, Carol Ann. We also get one of the investigators goes and raids their fridge and probably wished he hadn't. So he, he goes and takes out a chicken leg. And he pulls out a massive piece of steak uh, that he's going to cook. And all of a sudden, the steak looks like it's rotting. And then the bit of chicken looks like it's rotted. So he runs to the bathroom to wash, wash his face. Um, I'm going to let you take this because you are the practical effects man. Yeah, and uh, I mean, before that, you have the animatronic, uh, animatronic, you have the um, stop motion animation with the steak sliding across the kitchen counter before it starts inducing maggots and all the rest of it. And it's it's really, really cool, man. It's we'll, really, um, really cool, we'll, but... we'll talk about the steak because the steak moving across the counter was actually a real steak, not stop animation. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, they put like some 
we'll save that. We'll yeah, get to it. We'll save it. Um, but then we get to the scene where he do we know his name? I'm not IMDb friendly on this. Section. No, I don't know I, the guy's I, name. We'll just call him Paul Investigator A. Yeah, Investigator <laughs> A. Yeah, Investigator A. Um, he he goes to the bathroom mirror and sort of starts pulling on his face. And again, I'm calling it out for what it is, but I'm going to bear in mind that this is from the 80s. So this immediately transitions from what is an actor to a puppet. And once we get to the scene where it is a puppet, it looks nothing like the actual actor. But the 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 practical work that unfolds within this scene and the puppetry is astoundingly good. I loved it. I mean, it was such like a cheesy 80s crappy look, but man, I fucking loved it so much. And if this puppet looked more identical to the actor, I would be, I'd be giving it a standing ovation because I really, really liked it. And you know how much I like practical effects and stop motion animation. It was so cool. And then he yeah. pulls all the skin off his face and it's all going. I was like, man, there is no way this film is a PG-13. <laughs> <laughs> and then he, he does all of that and then he looks down and looks back up at the mirror and he's back to normal. It didn't yeah, happen. It just, yeah, it was just like a dream sort of secret. It's almost as if they'd sort of clouded his mind kind of thing. Yeah, and I, I think it's great. And I love what happens next. I tell you what it reminded me of, Temple of Doom. Yes, yes. It was exactly like Temple of Doom. Yeah, but exactly. Not like. as good as Temple of Doom. Yeah, there's, yeah I, I think it is. Anyway, uh, <laughs> the team decide that after all this has happened, that they need assistance. So they're going to leave and come back. Um, but only two of them will be coming back because the guy who saw himself rip his own face off is done. He's out. Yes. Goodbye to Investigator Air. Um, I'm fully surviving every horror movie, but with this, I would still be in. Yeah, I'm in at this point. I've not gone at this point. I am, even if I've seen myself rip off my face, I'm still here now because I'm really curious. Again, we get great parenting choices. I love the family dynamic. The parenting choices here are great because they decide that when the investigators go, their kids are going too. So Diane, uh, Diane, um, Dana goes and stays with their friends and Robbie goes and stays with his grandparents. What a great choice. Great choice. That's exactly what you do with your kids. You would not leave your kids in the house. You'd be like, right, you go. We'll deal with this. Come back when it's sorted. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we, uh, the fact that you've mentioned that the older sister was leaving, I feel like I've scared past the point. Doesn't something happen before this with the the ghosts and stuff? While while we have the puppetry thing, they all come back into the main living room and don't we see something weird happen, something freaky? I can't yes, remember. Yes, so we get all of the lights coming down the stairs. Yes, and, and the sister, it. the eldest sister, freaks out, man. She is terrified. And it was, I do apologize. I completely missed it because I was completely concentrating on what you were saying regarding Caroline saying, stay away from the light. It's a Caroline, stay away from the light scene. And the eldest sister is, she's horrified by this, hearing this voice. She is freaking out. And her performance is so good, man. She genuinely looks, I felt so bad for her. I really, really did because she was so scared in these moments. She was an incredible actress in this thing. Yeah, she it was, was only because you mentioned she was leaving that I had to come back and say, I do apologize. <laughs> uh, yeah, so they, they, they get rid of their kids. But yeah, she is absolutely outstanding in this. She has a really, she has the, the right amount of part for a 16 year old child living with a family. Yes. I've got boys of this age, and their input into our house is probably a grand total of 11 minutes a day, which is probably yeah. about Dana's input into this movie. Yeah. <laughs> it's about the same. It's very um, fitting. Yeah. We get Steve's boss turn up at the house. 
Um, so Steve's been off work for quite a while and the boss turns up and there's all this paranormal investigation stuff in the front room. And I thought Steve was going to get fired, but instead his boss is like, I can see you've got something going on the side. Please don't leave me. Come and take a drive with me. And I was like, what the fuck? Yeah, I like the way when he goes into the house that the the, the uh, poltergeist entities are trying to trying to fuck him, not necessarily fuck him up, but they're trying to let them know that he's there and they, they, they slide the piano across the room and Steve instantly grabs him to drag him outside and then the light bulb just turns up to like a thousand watts next to his head. Yeah, and he's like, what have you got in there? Like a 300 watt? And he's like... Oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you're trying to attract the burglars to your house, or <laughs> Yeah, and he takes him on a drive and he takes him up to see where they're going to build a new development. And Steve goes, well, you can't build here because there's a graveyard here. And he's like, ah, it's fine. We'll dig it all up. We'll move it. It's fine. We've done it before. We've done it for phase one, which is where Steve lives. And Steve has this realisation moment of, ah, okay, things are starting to make sense now. And Steve also added, but that's sacrilegious. He's like, no, it's not. We move everything. We move the gravestones. We move all the bodies. We, we get rid of it and we put it in a new place that everyone can go to. As Steve gets back, the paranormal team get back, um, backed up by a, how would we describe her? A small psychic medium called Tajina. I don't fucking know what this is, man. This is, I, I don't <laughs> want to be fucking... offensive. I don't want to be disrespectful to anybody. But is this is this actually her voice? Is this yes. actually an? I thought she was dubbed. I thought she was dubbed with like a child actor's voice. No, she is fucking incredible, and she does look yeah. like um, Johnny Depp from Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Same shades, <laughs> same shades, she... same dress sense. Yeah, she's incredible, and she's fucking badass, man. I mean, more more power to her. But yeah, it was it was weird, man. It was weird. It, was, it reminded me of like the little backwards man from uh, Twin Peaks. Yeah, <laughs> and I was like, what is going on here? This is taking a massive left turn. <laughs> but she's great, and she walks in, and Steve instantly has a reaction like, "Who the fuck is this idiot?" And he starts mocking her. She goes upstairs, go, "What's in this room?" And Steve doesn't say anything, and Diane's like, "What are you doing?" He's like. I'm answering her telepathically. And then he gets really quiet. He's like, oh, she can't hear me because she's a phony. And then she's way out of earshot. And she pokes her head around. She can, I can hear you. I just don't like answering stupid questions. And all of a sudden, Steve goes, ah, oh, fuck. Yeah, okay, yeah. I'm on board now. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Tangina explains that there are many spirits in the house, um, but there's also a beast, a demon, that is trapping all of the spirits there and explains that they need to, communicate with carol ann to basically find a way to rescue her she hits them with let's go get your little girl if i'm the parents now i'm fully invested everything i've seen i'd be willing to try anything at this point i wouldn't care what it was yeah i don't i think that's the case i think they'll just whatever they can do to get the daughter back regardless of how bizarre it sounds yeah which leads me into what i'm about to say next so the plan is very very much goonies-esque yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a Spielberg <laughs> film, of course. It. <laughs> uh, so the plan is they've worked out that there's a portal in the wardrobe, in the closet, in the bedroom, and that's the portal in. There's a portal out in the front room ceiling, and they've had old keys and things that have dropped through this. That earlier in the film they were talking about some are from five years ago, some are from two hundred years ago, uh, but they couldn't work out what it was. So the plan is to send Targina in to the portal on a rope to retrieve Carol Ann and then pull her out through the ceiling. Diane offers to go and Tangina's response is fucking brilliant and had me in hysterics. I cracked up massively at this point. Yeah, she's like, well, 
you shouldn't go because you know what you're here and we need you here. And Steve can't go because the, the, he's the only one strong enough to pull the rope and tell Gina goes, okay. Yeah. She's basically, it, well, no, it basically unfolds like she says to Chanzine, uh, uh, no, Chanzine basically says, I'm the only one qualified to do this. And she's like, have you actually ever done this before? And she's like, yeah, fair point. You go. Yeah. But there's <laughs> literally no hesitation. She's like, well, fuck, if you want to go to the ghost world, you go. I'll stay yeah, here. Yeah, too right. Would you go? To save my kids, yeah. To save anyone else. Even if it were a kid, right? So imagine this has just appeared in your house. You've got no child in the other end, but you have the option and the ability to be able to go in and and bear in mind, you don't know whether you're going to come back out or not. You might go in here and you might never see the light of day again, but you will experience a glimpse into the other side. Would your curiosity get the better of you here? No, not if... If my kids were in there, yeah, without hesitation. If no one was in there... No, I'm bored in that cupboard up. You? Yeah. Oh, you know I'm dead. <laughs> <laughs> You're in. It'd be no like God. that scene from The Matrix where I poke it and all of a sudden I just get covered in liquid metal. <laughs> <laughs> um, they they do this. A hand goes in. Um, Steve gets impatient with the rope and he tugs on the rope and he gets the beast full facial comes out of the, the wardrobe. What did you think of this CGI? I like this. I thought this was cool. I like this a lot. Was yeah. that CGI? I thought it was a. Uh, I thought it was puppetry. It it might be. I think it might. Be I think it was. A, I think it was like a hybrid. Yeah, it was a hybrid of the two. I think because it was on fire, wasn't it? I think maybe the fire yeah. was CGI, but the actual puppet head itself was was real. Uh, yeah. I like this. Really cool. Yeah, it looks really really good. Um, and what happens is basically he he kind of lets go of the rope and Diane and Caroline fall out of the ceiling. Um, and when they're out, they get them cleaned off in the shower. And Tangina declares, this house is clean. So when they come out, they're covered in the pink ectoplasm. Yeah. I just always thought this was a Ghostbusters thing. Is this actual a, 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 a ghost thing, not just a Ghostbusters thing? Yeah, ectoplasm's a real thing that apparently spirits have. I don't believe in ghosts, so... I, I don't either, but I just always assumed this was a, a, a thing that was coined by the Ghostbusters films. No, this this is a, a thing that's, yeah, it's expected. It's that, That's what you expect if you get hit by a ghost. I don't think it's to the level of, like, Slimer, but, yeah, it, it does happen. You'll end up with... I've seen videos where they've got, like, a sticky goo on the hand and kind of, yeah, it's, it's weird. I don't know if it's a real... It's meant to be a real thing, but... Okay. Yeah. Cottage. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> um, at this point, I would have been quite happy if credits had rolled. And I'll be honest, first watch of this, I expected this to be the end of the movie. I'll be honest, this is where it lost me for like a good five or ten minutes. What, where you went, what the fuck's going on? Why didn't it end? Yeah. I'm yeah. like, man, this is fucking dragging out a little bit now. Let's uh, let's wrap it up and move out of town and we'll see the credits roll. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I was just I was just lost I was dumbfounded by what was going on for a good 10 minutes after this point I think I did, didn't get what was happening and where this was going and I, I like the fact I think that's a deliberate choice they got yeah. to a point where it should end and everyone went I imagine when this was in the cinemas and it reached this point everyone was like oh, where's my coat where's my bag because it fades to black yeah. and then when it come back on everyone must have gone oh shit because yeah. post credit things were not a thing in the 80s everyone would have gone oh, oh hang on there's more movie oh, I'll get comfy again I just don't get what, and in this scene as well, we meet, we don't meet, the, the family are talking regarding moving out and you can see how quickly they're packing everything up and, and Steve's talking about leaving and going and tying up loose ends with his job and, and Diane stays at home with the kids 
Diane would not be staying at home with the kids. Let me just get this through. If I was Steve, they would be out of there before that removal van even arrived. I'd be like, right, get the fuck out of here. We're done. Yeah. And they oh. hang around. And I was just so like, what is going on? Why is it? She's going for a long bath and leaving the kids unattended in the same room that's literally just sucked them into a portal. And I was like, this doesn't make any sense to me, man. This is weird. No, it, it is weird, but it it kind of it fits with what they wanted to do with the story. But yeah, the, the family's behaviour here is off kilter from how they've been all the way through. Up yeah. until this point, they make really good choices. At this point, they don't. So Steve and leaves. I, and I get, I get, I get, I get, I get the idea. They're trying to say that they've, they've fallen into a false sense of security. That this is now being defeated and this is over with, and it's is no longer a problem. And and moving is a process, if you will. But yeah, it just it just didn't seem to fit for me. I. I, and that's just based on my own personal experience. Like, if this was something that was to happen to me, I feel like I would not be hanging around. I'd be get the fuck out, get the lads in to pack everything up and move us out. We'll meet them at the other side, sort of thing. Yeah, and I think I would do as well. I think that would have been my reaction. So that they packed up the house. Steve's gone to see his boss to tie up loose ends and basically go, "Look, I'm I'm going. It's nothing against you, but I'm I'm done." Um, Diane goes for a bath and. While this is going on, you get the clown doll finally springs to life and attacks Robbie. Fuck this doll, man. Yeah, fuck this doll. But again, I've said this numerous times before. I've never seen this film before. And automatically I was like, this is a scary movie too. This is weird. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Robbie fights back, though, which I love. I love the fact that he's reached a point now where he's gone, no, fuck you, clown. Yeah, and he and tears. He's savagely. Yeah, he savages this doll man. <laughs> yeah, to be fair, he's been through a lot. So, like when he went into the tree and they were all searching for Carol Ann, he's kind of like stood in the house covered in tree goo and no one's talking to him. And he's just stood there like zoned out. And I felt really sorry for him. So, seeing him come full circle and go from this zoned out, terrified boy to a, an absolute animal, I was like, yeah, good for you. Well done. Yeah, yeah, too right, too right. And we get the mum as well, the mum scene on the ceiling and stuff. Like, I can't remember, when did this come out? 82. And Freddie Wong was? 84. So this was two years before Nightmare on Elm Street 1, because I was going to assume that this was done, because I always thought the Nightmare on Elm Street 1 rolling set scene with, um, uh, my mind's gone blank, what's the name of the girl who gets killed in that scene on the ceiling? Uh, oh, you're testing my knowledge now. No, I can't remember, but yeah, I know who you mean. Nancy's That's friend. done on it. Yeah, that's done on a rolling set where they get the set and it's basically like on a big hamster wheel and spins and that's how they do the ceiling stuff. I assumed at this point that this was ripping off Nightmare on Elm Street, but then obviously the dates don't marry up. So is this what Nightmare on Elm Street ripped off for that scene? I think I think that's where the set design come from. Because um, she's wearing like a stripy Johnny Depp shirt and everything. I was like, man, this is literally a Nightmare on Elm Street. This is weird. Yeah, and I, I'm going to say it now because I don't feel like I should gloss over it. The mum in this, Diane, is so hot. So hot. Oh, man, I didn't want to be that guy to call it uh, out. But I, no, I, attention I, to it. I am that guy. I am going to call that out. She is literally the hottest mum in any movie in the yeah. 80s. Steve's End of discussion. a very lucky man. Very lucky <laughs> man. He, he is massively punching. <laughs> He is massively, massively punching. But yeah, she's super, super hot. So you get this scene where she hears the kids screaming. She goes to try and get out, gets pinned to the bed, then gets flipped up and pinned to the wall and kind of rolls all the way across the ceiling down the other side. It looks so good. It's such a yeah. good scene. Holds up yeah. today against anything you'll see. It's And again, 
this is a thing that I watched multiple times because I was like, that's, I can't work it out how it's done, whether it is a rolling set or not, because the way she does it doesn't feel like she's working with gravity when she's doing it. And it might all be done by a strings. I don't know. I'll have to check it out and find out if it's a rolling set or not. Because yeah. I always assumed that the Nightmare on Elm Street sequence was the first one to do that scene. We, um, as horror podcasters, we probably should check that shit out before. We... Yeah, we should really. <laughs> we do try and not wing these episodes, but unfortunately, <laughs> some there, stuff does slip us by. Yeah, uh, there is an element of winging it. Um, <laughs> she does eventually get out of the room. Uh, and when she does, she comes face to face with a beast on the stairs, which again, I loved. Yeah, this was the one, I know I talked about it earlier, but this was the one that made me think this was a remastered version that I watched because this beast at the top of the stairs looked incredible. Yeah, and I think that's because of where the beast was positioned, everything around it is very, very plain. It's almost like a black backdrop for them to work against. And I I think that's why it looked as good. I think had they done this in a busy area where you had lamps and tables and chairs and shit behind it, I don't think it would have looked as good. Was that fully CGI or was that a hybrid again? I think it's a puppet and then the hybrid glow. I think it's a hybrid again. Yeah, because it looks like a puppet. But it yeah, a puppet they've added the fire to. Yeah, yeah, if you will. It, it, I mean, it looked it looked incredible. This was one of the strongest CGI sections in the whole film. Yeah, and the, so the the beast sends Diane tumbling down the stairs, uh, and she bursts straight out of the house and runs to the, or goes to run to the neighbor's house to get help. I like slipped. how they brought this full circle with the neighbors because I didn't think he was going to make an appearance again. Yeah, I, I did as well because I kind of thought after the last time we saw the neighbors, that was them done now. They're like, oh no, she doesn't. She doesn't. Sorry, mate. I don't mean to correct you, but she doesn't run to the neighbors. She falls. No, she, into the she pool. tries to run to the neighbors. Yes, she's she running to the neighbors the when she slips on the mud into the pool. Yes, she does. Apologies. Yes, so she falls into the pool, and this is when we get all the coffins bursting and the no, skeletons, skeletons floating up first. I mean, yeah. skeletons float up inside the pool next to her. Yeah, they all start sort of trying to grab her and drag her in and not necessarily grab her because they don't actually have any movement, do they? They just... No, they're just... There, like, but it gives the illusion that they're trying to... Yeah, and she there's a bit where she climbs up like the sloped part of what is going to be their pool. Yes. And the mud is slipping away and she's grabbing at the side. Now she's grabbing, it's all falling down. This scene is terrifying. Yeah, yeah. Terrifying. I mean, and again, again, this reminded me of Drag Me to Hell in the coffin scene later on in that. It's like... You don't realise how many horror films have taken inspiration from this film, but obviously because I'm coming to it later on in life, I'm like, oh, that's like from this, or that's like from that. And it's like, this is just such a pivotal film in horror that so many things have drawn inspiration from. I'm embarrassed to say that it's taken me this long to get around to. And so you should be. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, As it's it's looking pretty pretty bleak for her um, until her neighbours hook her out of the pool. When they get her out and now the neighbours are there, she rushes back into the house, uh, up to the room where Robbie and Caroline are holding onto the bed for dear life because the, the wardrobe's doing its hoover thing again. It's only Robbie holding onto the bed, and I'll explain why Caroline's not holding onto the bed, and it's a puppet when we get to facts. I noticed this, and I noticed it in the first sequence as first, well. That it was first, a first sequence, it's not. Oh, maybe it was in the second one that I just assumed. So, the first this one this sequence is a puppet. First sequence isn't. And when we get to facts, I'll explain why. There's a yeah, really but good it was no, it was definitely more noticeable in this one, and maybe I just assumed that it was again in the first. But it, you can definitely see the transition between the two. Yeah, yeah, you can. Uh, and she manages to pull them out of the room and get them safe. 
Um, this is the point where Steve turns up at the house and every single window is flashing lightning and fucking there's coffins popping out of the ground. And you imagine pulling up to your house and this going on, you'd be like, what the fuck? Yeah, it's fucking creepy as shit, man. It really is. Yeah, and the coffins are trying to stop uh, Diane and the kids getting out of the house. So when they go through the kitchen, they pop up through the kitchen floor and they're popping up in the hallway and they're doing the same to Steve as he's coming towards the house. All of these coffins bursting out of the ground look incredible, especially the one in the kitchen where it takes all the tiles and stuff with it as well. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Again, it was very Goonie-esque, the way it was the skeletons and stuff like that. It's a Spielberg film, man. It it, it all just screams Spielberg all the way throughout. It does scream Spielberg. And again, we'll get to that in facts, because this isn't a Spielberg movie. It's a Tobe Hooper movie, not that you'd know it. (laughs) Uh, They get reunited at the front door. And this is where the family, you know, go back to making solid choices. The dad's like fucking everyone in the car. Yeah. <laughs> as soon as they're in the car, he's like foot on the gas and they're gone. And they leave the whole neighborhood staring at the house as it folds into itself and like disappears into a blip of light and it's gone. Yeah. I, I love the way that they were like, fuck this, we're getting out of here. They don't even stick around to see what happens. They are gone. And we still got another five minutes of of the street imploding and the house imploding and all the neighbours watching. And it's usually in this scene, you would find the family huddled together in the next door neighbour's garden watching it all happen. But they're just like, no, fuck that, see you later. <laughs> yeah, and I think at this point, if all this had happened to me, I 100% would be in my car. I wouldn't be standing and watching. I would be standing and watching. Of course you would. Of course you would. <laughs> um, the closing scene for this movie is probably the funniest scene in the film as well. That They get to a, um, a motel they go in, they, the family go into the room, they close the door. The next thing you see is the door open as Steve wheels the TV out on the trolley tray that is on, pushes it out into the hall and then closes and locks the door. Credits roll. What a great yeah, end. It's fantastic. And that, again, I was expecting some sort of like Seinfeld sort of theme music to play as he rolled the telly out. That's how sitcom it is at this moment. Yeah, I, I can't gush about this enough. So instead, I'm going to let you gush about it in three word reviews. We wanted them. You delivered them. It's this week's Freeword Reviews. From the listeners. Okay, so Freeword Reviews this week. We've got Voices from the Mausoleum, uh, which is Angel. Uh, Peak Influential Horror. Um, Angel is a podcaster, a YouTuber, and pretty much everything else. Um, Angel loves this movie and it is responsible for her love of horror. This is the movie that got her into horror. Uh, so much so that two days ago, she just had the beast from Poltergeist tattooed on her. And it looks incredible, by the way. Have you seen photos of this? Fucking awesome. Such yeah. a good tattoo. Very, very cool. And and again, again, she'd sent me tat- the pictures of the tattoos and stuff and I hadn't watched the film before. And I was like, oh, that tattoo was amazing. Really, really cool. And then I watched this the following day and I was like, ah, oh, shit, that's what she's just had done. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we've got Let's Talk Horror Channel, uh, Spielberg Hooper Combo. Uh, he's a horror podcaster called BP, a really, really nice guy. Um, it's not really a Spielberg Hooper Combo, but again, we'll get to that in fact. This is a Spielberg Spielberg Combo featuring yeah. Tobe Hooper. Uh, uh, mad as a march hare they are hoes i'm assuming they meant they are here but they've gone with they are hoes as a typo 
<laughs> yeah, because that doesn't make any sense or any context of this film. Uh, they're a horror account, um, but yeah, and I do think they meant they are here. Uh, we've got Jen Langley, 2016, best horror movie. Uh, they're a private account, so no idea what they do. Uh, we've got Lady Crisis, who needs no introduction whatsoever if you listen to this show. Uh, if you've not listened before, Lady Crisis is regular guest, star of TikTok, star of Instagram, one of the best makeup artists and nicest people in the world. Um, she's gone with nostalgic horror. Uh, sorry, nostalgic childhood horror. Kind of sums it up for me. Not for you, though. Not for me at all, no. This is, this is something I always find strange when you've not seen a movie that I have or vice versa. Something for me that this holds so much nostalgia. For you, this is like just a horror movie. It hasn't got any of those ties to it. That I find that so bizarre. Yeah, yeah. And it's difficult. It's difficult the way I do. Because I, I, I grew up not necessarily loving horror from a young age, but coming into horror in sort of the 90s and my era of horror growing up is things like urban legend and i know what you did last summer and scream and and that's not to say i haven't seen a lot of these and these older films and Candyman is one of my greatest horror films and always will be and that's a lot more before my time something that came into later in life but it's i there's a lot that i've missed from yeah. the generation before me that I'm still working my way through because it's difficult to try and get your way through the amount of content that's readily available. Yeah. Hence why I do my page. So it gives me the opportunity to try and get through these and the show as well. The show is ticking off so many great <laughs> that I wouldn't necessarily automatically go to because for me, the poltergeist is something that I've seen countless times pop up on um, Amazon and Netflix and, and I would probably never have picked to watch it. Um it's just ghost stuff isn't something that always appeals to me. So no, I'm glad we, that I've had the opportunity to watch it on the show so for that reason. And I think things like this and The Exorcist, I think we're slowly winning you round to paranormal movies. We're getting there. You're definitely picking the right era of paranormal movies to pick. It's yeah. when you try and bring it to a more modern day paranormal movie that I'm going to start losing my shit. <laughs> uh, anyway, into facts of this week, there are a lot. It's time to find out what you know about this movie and what we know. It's facts. So there are lots of facts around this movie about how it's a cursed set and how lots of people died and all the horrible things that happened on this movie. I'm not going into any of them because every other podcast ever that's ever reviewed Poltergeist has done all of them to death. So I'm going to do something different. Um, there's only one scene in this that scared Heather O'Rourke. And this is the scene where she had to hold onto the headboard while the wind machine blew the toys in the closet behind her. Um, after the scene, she fell apart and burst into tears. Steven Spielberg stopped everything, literally everything off, everyone out. And he sat there and he gave her a hug and said, it's OK, don't worry. I promise you, you will never have to do that again. And that's why in the closing scenes, it was a puppet and not Heather O'Rourke, because Spielberg said, I will not make you do that again, because she was so traumatised. Oh, that's nice. Oh, blessing. Yeah, really, really nice. Because let's be honest, most directors would have gone, oh, you've only got to do it one more time, don't worry. <laughs> yeah, and they would have made it go through it again, which is awful. Yeah. And, and traumatising for a child. And... Yeah, and he, he didn't do that. Um, and the reason that we got her in the first scene and not the last scene is because unlike other movies in the 80s, this was shot in the order that it's shown. 
and it was shot that way not to make the actors feel everything right or do everything in order it wasn't any of that it was shot in order so Spielberg could keep on top of the editing while he was filming E.T. Um, so he was contractually obliged that he could not direct two movies at the same time and he worked as producer on this and director on E.T. back to back. So did he really, or was he a director on this and a director on E.T., but not allowed to call himself a director on this? Because this is Which, which leads really nicely into my next fact. Well done, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> and that wasn't pretty bad. Uh, Steven Spielberg hired Tobe Hooper after being impressed with his work on the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Um, according to rumours and personal accounts from Tobe Hooper, Spielberg ended up directing most of this film and Tobe Hooper was just a passenger. It, that's apparent, man. That is fucking apparent. This isn't a Toby Hooper film. I've seen a lot of Toby Hooper films. This is not a Toby Hooper film. No, and uh, not being funny, if you get to work with Spielberg and he's your producer and he goes, I think we should do that with directing, you go, yeah, okay. Yeah. There's no argument with, you're not going to battle back with Spielberg. Actually, I think that's a bad idea. No, of course not, man. I mean, it's a privilege to be able to be sitting in his presence and watch him at work. If he comes on set, and even though you are considered the director, if Spielberg comes in and he's like, oh, do you mind if I just shoot a few scenes and you're Toby Hooper, you're like, please, man, I'd love to watch you work. Yeah. Regardless of whether that takes the form of a six-week shot or, or in a couple of hours, you've got to sit there in awe and watch him do his stuff. Yeah, your words will be, yeah, yeah, you sit down, I'll get you a coffee. Yeah, too right. <laughs> you crack on. Um I said earlier there's a scene where they go to the neighbour's house that feels really out of place. It kind of cuts from Steve sitting on the floor and it jumps straight to the neighbour's house. Um, The reason of this is there is a sentence that was cut out and it was cut out quite clumsily because they didn't have time to reshoot it. Um, And it was cut out because they had a legal complaint from Pizza Hut. So what the line is that they left is Steve went, do you know what? I hate Pizza Hut. And Pizza Hut took offence and they had to cut it. And just that little bit of that scene where I hate Pizza Hut and then there's a bit of a joke and a laugh and then like some glances out like they're going to go to the neighbours, that was removed. So that's why it feels a bit... Jarring. Jarring, yeah. Um, Real human skeletons were used in the swimming pool scene since the crew found it too complicated and expensive to get fake ones. Uh, Joe Beth Williams, uh, Diane, was not made aware of this until after the scene had been shot. How the fuck is it more expensive to create plastic skeletons than wire an actual skeleton? I have no idea. But they were... like, the, the Skeletons don't hold their form unless wired or some sort of mechanical attachments to keep them solid. Yeah. This must have taken time and effort. No museum's just going to rent this shit out. Like, can no. you get human skeletons in a museum? I, I don't know. I don't know where they got them, but they were all real human skeletons in that scene. In the scene in the pool, all of those are real. That's weird, man. Weird, but could you imagine how pissed off you would be if you're the actor or actress and you're not told till after? By the way, that scene was great. They're all real. Imagine dying though, and then being an extra in the Poltergeist. <laughs> I wonder if they got credited in the titles. <laughs> skeleton one, full skeleton one. <laughs> Uh, I said this earlier, so the film was originally rated R, but the filmmakers protested and got it pushed down to a PG, which I don't know how. Um, There are huge chunks of Star Wars merchandise in this movie. Did you spot it? No, and we know already not to piss anybody off any more than I already have, but I am not a huge Star Wars fan. Uh, Well, I am. So anyway, uh, 
there is a Star Wars bedspread. There's a, a, a Darth Vader. It was a toy carrier. I had it. You used to keep all your figures in it. There's loads of Star Wars stuff in this. Um, and this is all because of a handshake agreement between Steven Spielberg and George Lucas. They made a deal that they would always, regardless of what movie, feature a character from the other one's film in their movies. That's so cool. lots of Star Wars appear in this. Um, if you were to look at E.T., um, no, sorry, not E.T., if you were to look at Star Wars The Phantom Menace, E.T. or a pod of E.T.'s appear in that movie. Yep. Uh, you've I mean, even got... in E.T., though, E.T., you get Yoda. Yes, yes, you do. Uh, you also get the, uh, in Steven Spielberg's A.I., you get the cloners, the, the people who clone the AI are the cloners from the planet Camino in Star Wars. Yes. Um, and this crossover has happened in all of their movies. And there's loads of YouTube videos you can go and find it. But this is all done off a handshake agreement when they first started. Not to go off all topic altogether, but AI, man. Fuck, I haven't heard that film in years. That was so cool. That was really cool. I love the grumpy, miserable fucking teddy bear. Yeah, I'm going to watch that. I'm going to watch that after we finish here tonight. Yeah. There's a scene in that movie, and I'm going to say it now, that is the funniest scene in a movie I can recall, where the teddy bear gets dropped out of a hot air balloon. He hits the floor, and with no emotion at all, goes, ow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, the music known as Carol Ann's theme is originally titled Bless This House, and it was written as a lullaby, not for a horror movie. Um, you can find the lyrics on the internet. It's actually a really nice song. My final fact, the sound effect that they created for the beast roaring when it's on the stairs is now the roar of the MGM lion. Really? Mm-hmm. How? So that roar that the, they created for this movie, for the beast, this is an MGM movie. After hearing it, MGM adopted that noise and then altered it so it doubled up for the lion's roar. That's cool. I'm going to have to YouTube that because that's really interesting. Really, I'll really. Cool I'll fact. have to listen to her before and after. Um, final fact comes from Skellington fan. Um, uh, this fact blew my mind. Um, Stephen King was approached to write the screenplay for this and was fully interested and invested and actually put pen to paper, um, but it never happened because his agent was greedy and wanted too much money. Oh, man. The people, the powers that be. Could you imagine if Stephen King had been involved in this movie? How where it would have gone yeah that would have been insane i think it would have been insane it would have been a lot more darker and it certainly wouldn't have been a pg no i think i think had stephen king had been involved it would have lost the family charm that i think makes it successful definitely definitely and not only that though your final fact the one that you got ultra giddy about and posted on instagram <laughs> the one I that you weren't going to mention because nah. you'd already given it away on Instagram, but I feel like you need to touch upon it here. So. Yeah, I felt really stupid. So uh, the actor who plays Steve also does the voice for Mister Incredible. Never in a million years would I have put those two together. No, and as soon as you see the clips next to each other, you go, "Oh yeah." <laughs> <laughs> um, listeners scored this a nine out of ten. Solid score um, for me. This is the perfect haunted movie. Everything about this is designed to be build fear and doom. And they managed to do this while still keeping comedy and a family feel in it, but not taking away from the fact it's a horrible situation. It is without a doubt the building block of every paranormal movie since, every single one, uh, including Ghostbusters, Paranormal Activity, and even The Conjuring. 
I will add that Poltergeist not only done it all first, but still to this day does it better than all three of those movies. I've got a heavy nostalgia linked to this movie. Um, it's always been an enjoyable watch. It brings back memories of me playing with Star Wars figures and my dad explaining about thunderstorms. And I remember sitting watching this in my nan's like back room on an old like big VHS and a, a big back TV, um, sitting there watching it with a friend. This is best in show in this subgenre of horror for me. Without a doubt, without any hesitation, it's a straight, flat 10 out of 10. Can't be anything else from me. Fair score, fair score. Yeah, I'm not I'm not going to argue with it. I'm not going to argue with your emotional attachment to it at all, yeah. Oh, I get it. <laughs> Where are you on this? Now we, now uh, we get a... Now, so this will be interesting, actually. So for me, it's tied a lot to nostalgia. There's lots of things that mean a lot to me about this movie. So for me, it probably picks up points because of that. Yeah. You, without having that, I'm really interested to see how you score this and what you actually think of it. Uh, right. Where do I start? So I'm going to start with the positives. So I really love the practical effects. I really love the casting. I really love the character development with the family dynamic. I think it's very, very well done. Very, very well written. Um, I love the almost family aspect filming wise. So you, you can put this in the same category as you would your, your, your gremlins, your ghostbusters, your goonies. It feels very much at home within that category. Um, it was jarring for me to watch this first time around, knowing that this was so highly held by horror fans. This, although it has massive horror undertones, and I'm blown away by the fact that this is a PG rating, it still felt very family-friendly to me. I would not let my family watch it or my child watch it, but it still has that very family-feeling vibe to it, that sitcom American vibe to it that you get with, Honey, I Blew Up the Kids and E.T. and all the rest of that sort of stuff. And it's great. And it's very, very entertaining to watch. And I I loved it for those reasons. But I also didn't like it for those reasons, if that makes sense. Um, It was a jarring experience for me. And I don't know. I felt it had a few pacing issues. I feel like for a two-hour film, I could have probably seen this being reduced 20 minutes here and there, making this an hour a solid hour and a half, a solid hour and 35, 40 minutes. Out of curiosity, um, where were your pacing issues in it? What bits did you find that dragged on too long or that were... My main flashed? pacing issues were immediately after we got the initial sort of cleanse, if you will, um, before things went crazy again. I felt that 10 minutes there could have been condensed to a couple of minutes, which would have felt less jarring between the two closing act and pre-closing act, if you will. Yeah, um, that 10 minute lull there between could have been condensed, making things feel less jarring. And then again, at the beginning, and as much as I love the character development and the build up between everybody, I feel like that again could have maybe been shortened a few minutes here and there. And then again, with the section in the middle with the paranormal investigators, their first arrival on the scene, not the much the second arrival, but the first arrival, I felt that maybe dragged a little bit more than it needed to. And so we're talking, you, you want we're to talking, trim my favorite part. <laughs> no, I mean, we're talking a couple of minutes here and there. I mean, you take yeah. a couple of minutes out of the beginning, a couple of minutes out of the middle, and then maybe 10 minutes out of that, that lull in the end, you, you can reduce an hour, a two hour film to maybe a tight hour and 40, hour and 30 quite yeah. easily. Would it, would it would have made a much more fluid watch for me and would have probably bumped my score of maybe another half a percent. Um, 
but again, overall, like, these are just points that I feel like I have to bring up. These are not necessarily points that I feel overall like damaged my experience watching it. Um, it's a solid film. It's a solid film. It wasn't what I was expecting it to be in the slightest. When I thought I was watching The Poltergeist directed by Toby Hooper, I thought, oh, shit, <laughs> this is what we're in for. But this is not what we got. This was a, this was a Steven Spielberg, kid-friendly, Ghostbusters, Gremlins, Goonies-esque adventure story yeah. with a light-hearted family and a light-hearted tone throughout, barring a few scenes here and there. But overall, I loved it. I loved it. And, it, and I'm not going to shit on it and tell you that it's a bad film because it's fucking really not. It's far from it. Um, it is the same way that you would sit down to watch a Ghostbusters film. It's not a horror film, but you're watching it and you're, you're enjoying your experience with it. And I don't know, man. I don't know. I don't know where to place it. I'm really struggling to find an area to put it because it feels very much at home with all the films that I've described. Yet yeah. it's so adored and welcomed by horror fans as the greatest horror poltergeist film ever made. And I get it, but I feel like that's a, an opinion based more on nostalgia than any form of credibility and I loved it. I enjoyed it. And I'm going to give you my score, which is a 4.5 out of five. And I had a great experience with it. And I get why people rank it as highly as they do, but to, to welcome it with open arms, like they're doing the horror community just seems very out of place to me. And that's going to get me a lot of backlash. And I understand why, and I understand why it's wrong when I'm saying it out loud now, but I can't help but feel like it just feels like out of place in this, overall conversation if you will yeah yeah no i i can take that on board i, I understand what you're saying um, don't forget you can call into the show <laughs> uh, uh, there's many ways you could do that so you can go to yourunpodcast.com click on the button that says record us a message uh, or you can send me a voice message uh, direct on any social media where it allows you to send a voice message you'll get a play on the air uh, if you've got any thoughts on mark saying that Poltergeist is not a horror movie and shouldn't be welcomed by the horror community with open arms. We'll, we'll accept those on the show. Uh, I would love to see Spielberg take on a proper horror. Yeah, I would too. I would. Uh, I think his days are done, though, man. I think his days are done. He's, he's, he's retired now, isn't he? Yeah, he is. But I would love to have seen him take on, I don't know, something really dark. I'd love yeah. to see what he could do with the budget and the ability he's got. Give him something... I don't know, give him a Nightmare on Elm Street. What could he produce with the character from a Nightmare on Elm Street? What could he do yeah. with that? Would with his background phenomenal. based on adventures and horrors and stuff like that, he could do something phenomenal with um, with a Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah, yeah, he really, really could. And I'm desperate to get a remake of that. I don't know if anyone's noticed in the last season and a bit. Um, anyway, <laughs> moving on. Uh, we're going to be back next week. and We are reviewing The Crow. Uh, we've got Skelly back with us, um, who joined us for our Evil Dead episode. Um, but she's not coming alone. She's bringing her daughter, Juliet. Um, I'm really excited to get them both on the show. Really excited to talk about The Crow as well. Yeah, me too. Me too. It's, that is that is my poltergeist. I grew up with The Crow. I love it a lot. Um, I must have burned that VHS out tenfold. I think I'm, I've gone through at least two or three copies of it, watching it that much. <laughs> um, don't forget, if you like me and Mark, um, which I'm hoping you do because you listen. Uh, you can also listen to us on Horror Movie News. Um, to find it, you need to search You Run Podcast Horror Movie News wherever you listen because it's a new show and it's harder to find. Um, or go to yourunpodcast.com and click the link and we're, we're there. Um, what we do on news is we leave the mics running after we finish this show. 
we give you some updates on movies. We talk about, well, about horror movie news. Uh, we also just generally talk shit and talk about our wives and talk about our kids and talk about COVID or talk about whatever, whatever comes to mind. And it's completely unedited, unfiltered. And it's just, it's us without a movie to talk about. It's just us talking. It's pretty much what I do here, but I tend to usually dig myself a much bigger hole. Yeah, we don't take call-ins to that show. Maybe we should start. <laughs> we really shouldn't. <laughs> uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. Um, you're all amazing. I, I love all of you. We both love all of you. Um, go and give us a review, Apple or Spotify, and tell a friend. Um, and, yeah, until next time, I'll see you all later. See you next week. You want to die tonight? Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the You Run Podcast. Don't forget, to get involved in the show, all you need to do is head to our website, yourunpodcast.com. This is not our show. This is your show.